Hello, and welcome to Kick Out 299. I am, as always, Rachel. And I'm Alicia. And today, I'm going to let you in on one of our little inside jokes. You see, whenever anything happens to Kenta, that day immediately becomes a holiday. Birthday, anniversary, title shots, G1 matches, or if we simply have decided to talk about him. It doesn't matter. The whole day belongs to Kenta now. Why am I telling you this? Well, that's because today is Kenta Day. Kenta and the IWGP US heavyweight title is a fairly short storyline in the grand scheme of Kenta's long in-ring career, but it's arguably one of his most important to date. And we're going to be talking about why poor booking decisions and some unfortunate luck have caused the IWGP US title to lose its identity before it really found it. But beyond that, we'll also cover why this title is tied to Kenta's identity and what it means for him as he navigates this stage of his career in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Okay, so kick back, relax, raise a toast, and enjoy the Kenta Day celebration, because this is going to be a good one. Let's get started. So to begin... We'll start with a brief history of the IWGP U.S. Heavyweight Championship. The title was announced on May 12, 2017, during a stop on the War of the Worlds Tour. This was co-produced by New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor. New Japan went on to reveal that the title was part of an American expansion plan announced months prior to the belt being revealed, but that it would play a major part in tours being run in the United States with California as a base. And this aspect of the title being defended on U.S. shows is important for Kenta later on. So Nikon Sports reported that the belt's creation was in direct response to New Japan Pro Wrestling being frustrated with the WWE picking off four of their stars the year prior. And that would be Shinsuke Nakamura, AJ Styles, Doc Gallows, and Carl Anderson. New Japan wanted to quote unquote fight back against (laughs) WWE with a successful U.S. expansion. Oh, yes, because I'm sure WWE cares so much. <laughs> yeah, this this is interesting. It's an interesting, um, I guess, uh, way to um, get Western fans interested in the product, maybe. I don't, I don't know if Vince McMahon ever cared, but it's interesting to know that that was the reason why they, they thought this belt needed to be created, I guess. I mean, if that's what motivates you for a U.S. expansion, then go for it. I mean, it's a good thing to aim for. So kind of weird flex, but okay. But all right. (laughs) So the inaugural champion was determined in a single elimination tournament in July 2017 during New Japan's G1 special shows in Long Beach, California. Kenny Omega defeated Tomohiro Ishii to win. And now this belt has been held by six Gaijin and two Japanese wrestlers to date. Um, It had been exclusively the Gaijin belt until Hiroshi Tanahashi had won it from Lance Archer on July 21st, uh, 2021. And um, I had done a little bit of work in cage match to figure this out, but there has been um, 15 title matches for the belt held within Japan and then 14 in the United States and Canada, which doesn't sound that impressive when I say it like that, but when you kind of look at this on paper, um, you get the, like a real sense of how this belt has been affected by COVID because there are long stretches of time where this belt is not doing anything. And then for a while, this belt was just either 
stuck in the US or stuck in Japan and there was like no in between. It's it's very interesting when you look at it actually on Cage Match. Yeah, the belt has had a lot of um, identity issues more or less because of that. When it first started out, it was really a solid Daijin belt and it started to develop more and more of an identity as it went on um, through Moxley, through Lance Archer, um, leading into the challenge for Suzuki-san was going to challenge for the belt. And it had this sort of identity as almost being a hardcore title. And it was working its way towards that. And then the 2020 pandemic hit and the booking of the belt became extremely scattered. Like you said, where it's become stuck in different countries, in different places. And we'll definitely get into that later with the Moxley program. But it's uh, really interesting how this belt has come to, I wouldn't say mean so little because it still does mean a lot, but it's come to have this lack of identity. And we'll definitely talk about that just a little bit more later on. But one thing is you have the pandemic, you have the birth of NJPW Strong. So you're looking at this belt and you think, okay, so it was the Gaijin belt, but now it's going to become the Strong belt, right? That would make sense. Mm -hmm. But that's not what happened about a year into the pandemic on April 23rd, 2021, they introduced the strong open weight belt. So now you have this belt that's just floating there. Sometimes it's on AEW, sometimes it's on strong, sometimes it's in Japan. It's hard to say what they are meant to be doing with that belt. Exactly. And we're going to talk more about that identity issue within the belt in a little bit, but it's important to talk about Kenta and where Kenta comes in with this belt, but we have to go back to Kenta's time in the WWE before we get up to that program where he starts to interact with this belt. We have another episode um, called I Am Noah, where we go into more detail on Kenta's background in Pro. Check that out if you want to know more about his start in wrestling. Kenta participated in a WWE tryout in January 2014 and announced his resignation from Noah in February of that year. Kenta had his last match with Noah on May 17th, and on June 27th, Tokyo Sports reported that Kenta had signed with the WWE. An official announcement was made during a WWE live event in Osaka with an in-ring appearance from Kenta along with Hulk Hogan, of all people. Um, Kenta leaves Noah during their rebuilding period, post several key members of the Noah roster, leaving for All Japan Pro Wrestling. Of course, this is Jun Akiyama, Goshi Ozaki, Yoshinobu Kenamaru, Kotaro Suzuki, and Sushi Aoki. Um, this is also after Kenta Kobashi's retirement as well, and he's leaving to pursue his dream of being in the WWE. Kenta stated that he was turning 33 years old, and he didn't want to regret never trying to pursue his goal of succeeding in the WWE and trying new things. Noah's president at the time, Akira Tawe, said he had been hearing about Kenta's dream to go to WWE for, quote unquote, a long time. Kenta's decision to try out and ultimately pursue a contract with WWE was fully supported by Noah. And Rachel's heard me yell about this enough. I do want to mention um, that this decision was fully supported by Noah. I think that people do buy into um, a lot of kayfabe around this, but this was a decision that Noah supported. 
Kenta Kobashi, Kenta Senpai, gives Kenta his blessing as well. He says, no matter what ring you choose, I will support you because it is the path you have chosen. And going to WWE, Kenta was not just pursuing his own dreams, but really Noah's dreams for him and representing the company, Noah's fans, and even Japan on the world stage. A banner at Kenta's final Noah appearance hung by fans read, thank you, Kenta, and your dream is our dream. So you really get that sense of people putting their hopes and dreams behind Kenta, and he's carrying that into the WWE. Absolutely, and it is a really emotional thing. And even now, like speaking of um, buying into that kayfabe, even now they still view it within kayfabe as Kenta going out and representing Noah. There are multiple interviews about that. Kenta talks about that in his shoe pro column because of course I would mention that, but he does. And um, it does show that the roster does still support that and support who he was in that past and who it has built in the present day. Um, However, his time in WWE, in actuality, you can go ahead and tell us all about that. Yes, it is not what he envisioned for himself. Um, to explain a little bit of his time at NXT to begin with, Kenta debuted at NXT TakeOver 2 on September 11th, 2014, introduced by William Regal as Hideo Itami. Kenta's booking starts off fine. He feuds with tag team The Ascension. After a few weeks of, of that, he's joined by a debuting Finn Balor to finally defeat them. He went on to lose to Balor in the semifinals of an NXT Championship number one contenders tournament, but enters into a feud with Tyler Breeze, where they exchange wins and losses until Breeze ultimately defeated him to end that feud. Um, on March 27th, Kenta won the WrestleMania Access NXT tournament by defeating Adrian Neville and Finn Balor to earn a spot in the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royale on the pre-show of WrestleMania 34 that year. Kenta was eliminated by The Big Show, but the WWE filmed a five-minute special for YouTube called A Special Look at Hideo Itami's WrestleMania Debut, which you can still view on YouTube. It's actually very interesting to watch now, knowing everything that we know. Um, After that, Kenta is booked to be in a three-way with Balor and Breeze at NXT TakeOver Unstoppable in May 2015, but this is where he suffers a shoulder injury and he has to undergo surgery. The original timetable had him out for six months, but there were complications with that surgery and he remains inactive for a year after needing to get a second surgery done. He returns in June 2016, but this is where he suffers a horrific neck injury during a botched power slam at an NXT house show in October 2016. Now, based on Triple H's NXT Japan ideas at the time, it's reasonable to assume that Kenta was meant to play a large role in those expansion plans. There's also reason to believe that Kenta was meant to go over Kevin Owens for the NXT title at Beast in the East, a 2015 WWE event held at Ryogoku Sumo Hall in Tokyo before he was injured. This is purely rumor, but it has been so heavily discussed that I felt it fair to mention. However, Kenta makes his return to NXT TV on April 19th, 2017. And despite a strong push at the outset, Kenta never regains the momentum he had um, after he returned from his neck injury. He was booked to put over incoming talent mostly in NXT. And when he was moved up to 205 Live, his booking stalled completely. And toward the end of his time at WWE, and we'll talk about this in a little bit as well, he was only wrestling once or twice a month, which is for him, especially someone who is so passionate about what he does, that's a nightmare for him. Some things I want to mention about Kenta and his time with NXT and WWE. 
Kenta was made to watch wrestlers practice at the performance center for at least a month before he was allowed to partake. And this is something that comes directly from Kevin Owens that happened to him. It happened to Finn Balor. And he mentioned specifically that fucking Kenta had to wait a month before he was allowed to partake in practice, which is crazy. By the time he was uh, with 205 Live, he was performing in front of crowds to just no reaction. And he was not given an acceptable reason for why he could not use the go to sleep, which is his finisher that he created. This was something that he said to Chris Charlton in a New Japan live virtual meet and greet um, a couple months back. I'll reference that later on as well when we talk about um, certain things. He was able to be on a few episodes of Raw at one point with Finn Balor, and he accidentally, um, there was an accident with Brian Kendrick. Brian Kendrick broke his nose on the go to sleep, and Kenta was treated like an unsafe worker from that point forward. That's the only time he was ever really allowed to use the go to sleep, and that one incident banned. He couldn't use the move again, and then was treated like an unsafe worker after that, so these are just things that just made his experience all the more unfortunate while he was there. And fan sentiment was that Kenta was simply never good enough to carry a company like WWE. And after his injuries, he was washed, which is something that you'll hear and see a lot. I don't usually cite things like cage match comments, but it comes up a lot. And it's interesting to see how many people still cite his failure to get over with WWE as something that detracts from his legacy, no matter what he's done prior to WWE and since WWE. So Failing to succeed in WWE and in America generally, injuries and company mistreatment aside, does not sit well with Kenta. And in failing, there is a sense that Kenta has not only let himself down, but Noah and Noah's fans. If we think back to the weight of expectations placed on Kenta, self-imposed or not, when he left Noah to join WWE. However, Kenta does request and was granted his release from WWE in January 2019. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add there. That is perfect. I do remember um, you speaking of him coming up to 205 Live. That was the only time I've ever actually seen Kenta wrestle live was his 205 Live debut. And it was depressing. It was an absolute silent affair. The crowd was completely, completely silent. He was wrestling a jobber from the local, local fed. And it was just a really depressing situation. Even if you did not know who Kenta was, if you did not know his pedigree, it was sad. And now seeing him get those opportunities, which we'll talk about in just a second here, is a huge deal for him. And it's very uh, relieving now to see um, as someone who watched those uh, early, early shows in 205 Live. Absolutely. And from here, Let's seg right into his time with New Japan Pro Wrestling and talk about where his identity comes into play here, which is so important to understanding his character in New Japan Pro Wrestling now and how it intersects with the the U.S. heavyweight belt. So Kenta makes his surprise debut in a face role for New Japan on June 19th, 2019 at their Dominion event in Osaka Joe Hall with Katsuyori Shibata acting as his manager. And they announce his participation in the 2019 G1 Climax. But it's important to understand where Kenta was mentally and emotionally when he left WWE and signed with New Japan. This quote is skipping ahead a little bit, but it provides context to this era specifically. Kenta told Sports Illustrated in 2020 that the five years he spent with WWE were the most, quote unquote, frustrating of his life. And he would, quote unquote, always remember the humiliation in America. 
During Kenta's first post-match comments after defeating Kota Ibushi during the G1 Climax in 2019, Kenta mentions off the top he was happy with the result because he was able to wrestle as his true self. Kenta was also asked, how did you feel about the crowd response compared to your last company, which is the WWE? And Kenta responded, well, it does feel like fate that the G1 kicks off in Dallas. I was glad to get that warm response. So it's interesting to think about that quote and how he thinks that it is fate that his first appearance for New Japan is in an American city. So it's interesting to keep that in mind off the top. As the 2019 G1 Climax wages on, Kenta's identity, or lack thereof, became a major theme. In backstage comments made on July 13, 2019, Tanahashi says about Kenta, there is one lost boy in this G1 Climax. He completely lost his way. He doesn't know how to get back. He doesn't know if he's Hideo or Kenta, or he may just be little young Kenta which gives me chills every time I think about it, honestly. It's haunting. It yeah. was so, so good. I had to go back and rewatch it uh, recently while you were mm-hmm. going through all this. It was really, it still hits. It mm-hmm. still hits. Yeah. Absolutely. So that leads us into the final night of that tournament, August 12th. Kenta's in a tag match with Chaos members Yoshihashi and Tomohiro Ishii versus Bullet Club members Bad Luck Fale, Tamatanga, and Tangaloa. Kenta betrays Chaos and defects to the Bullet Club. Shibata comes out from the back to attack Kenta, and the Bullet Club help Kenta beat down Shibata. By joining the Bullet Club, Kenta has officially turned heel and turned his back on Shibata and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Shibata remarks after the turn, little boy Loss found himself. So it's always about that sense of identity, mm-hmm. really. Okay. That's, Absolutely. Sense. Yeah. If you look at his G1, I remember, was it, I don't remember who he had fought, but I do remember him sitting there in one of his backstage comments saying, this is it. This is what I was looking for. This is the kind of fight I was looking for. And then it really hit me that it was all about his own identity. Absolutely. Backstage again and relive through that. So. <laughs> for sure. And this is not to gloss over that there are some issues with Kenta's booking in the Bullet Club overall. If you've followed Kenta's career and you know a little bit about his character and you know about some of the things that he was doing up over in Noah, he disbands a group called Disobey to lead a group called No Mercy in Noah. Kenta doesn't take a back seat to anyone. <laughs> um, so really what should have been the next step, especially with the way that he, he became a part of the Bullet Club, the next step logically would have been for him to sort of lead a coup and to assume sort of leadership over Bullet Club. And we've not seen that. Um, however, what becomes very important about Kenta being a part of the Bullet Club is that being in a Western heel group gives Kenta this interesting opportunity to continue to try to appeal to a Western slash American audience through New Japan's lens. This is super important if we think back to how he was criticized at the end of his tenure at WWE. He was told that he couldn't carry a company like WWE, that he could not get over with American audiences. So it's it's interesting to think about it when we're looking at him appealing to Western and American audiences through something like the Bullet Club. From there, Kenta goes on from the G1 Climax to win the Never Open Weight Championship from Ishii on August 31st, 2019. He drops it to Hiroki Goto at Wrestle Kingdom 14 on January 5th, 2020, after two prior defenses. 
In an interview with Fightful Wrestling conducted just before Wrestle Kingdom 14 while he was defending the Never Belt, Kenta says, could you have imagined last year I had a match once or twice a month, but a year later I had 17 matches in just one month on the last tour. Honestly, this is huge for me. I realize that I'm living my life now. I'm going to prove what I can do, who the fuck I am, where I belong in this world. These comments are so demonstrative of Kenta feeling like he lost himself, or at least a major part of his identity during his time with WWE, but that he was starting to find himself again in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And if you go back, sorry, I this made me think of our I Am Noah episode. If you guys go back to that episode, we were talking about Kenta's identity and his sense of self and how strong it was. Even when the booking wasn't there in Noah, he always knew exactly who he was. So having this storyline and having him go through that, that loss of identity, it's really heavy. It's really huge. Definitely. Also of note, during this time period, Kenta interrupts Naito's double gold moment at Wrestle Kingdom 14 by attacking Naito during his post-match speech and setting up a title match for February 9th, 2020 at the New Beginning in Osaka. Kenta lost that match. I lost my dignity because I also turned on (laughs) Naito. But this storyline coming out of Wrestle Kingdom gives him considerable heat amongst Japanese fans and also Western fans. So it's, it's sort of great for him. He's able to kind of gloat in that for a while. An important thing to also talk about as well that I think anyone that's sort of listening to this podcast probably knows a lot about and is probably a big fan of, Kenta's backstage promos, they're huge. During the fall of 2019, after some confusion about which camera backstage he was supposed to cut his promos into, Kenta started treating the camera op for New Japan World like a character in his comments, which turned into a romantic drama as described by New Japan online. And it's true. Kenta's promos, which he typically gives in Japanese and English. And I just want to mention too, that he only started learning English once he signed with WWE. And we think that's incredibly impressive. They, the the fact that he's able to give his um, backstages in Japanese and English enhance the programs New Japan book him in and give him the opportunity to curate his own side storylines. And these promos have helped him to rebuild a fan base that was lost to him through his troubled years with WWE with more Western fans beginning to appreciate his work. Yeah, and that ability to build that storyline in the backstages um, is really big for him, especially as we move on to this U.S. title, uh, to this Moxley program, which we are going to talk about right now. So, John Moxley, he became the IWGP U.S. Heavyweight Champion on January 4th, 2020 at Wrestle Kingdom 14. He defended the belt twice, the final time being in February 2020, and that's right before the pandemic hit, which throws this belt and everything into chaos for a while. Kenta was in Florida during the first several months of the pandemic due to not being able to travel to Japan. He actually still lives in Orlando with his family and commutes to Japan for shows. He participated in a New Japan Strong Tournament during August 2020 in Los Angeles to determine the winner of the right to challenge Moxley for the IWGP US title. He defeats Carl Fredericks, Jeff Cobb, and David Finley to win the tournament. He was given a red briefcase to represent his title shot. And from there, what follows is several months of Kenta finally being able to travel again to Japan after the tournament, cutting promos on Moxley and building a very one-sided program while Moxley was unable to travel to Japan and seemingly also unable to participate in the build in any other way. So Kento defends his briefcase against Tanahashi at Power Struggle in September 2020, um, post-G1 Climax. 
against um, Satoshi Kojima at um, Russell Kingdom 15 in January 2021. He stepped in to replace an injured Juice Robinson. And then Russell Kingdom 15 is actually the first time we see new promos teasing any kind of Moxley return. On the January 29th episode of New Japan Strong, Kenta appears and was attacked by Moxley. And this sets up a title challenge for February 26, 2021, as part of the New Beginning 2021 in Los Angeles. Um, as part of the promotions for the title match, Kenta appears twice on AEW. Once as a surprise on February 3rd, where he was able to attack Moxley and stand tall as the episode closed. The second was a match on February 11th, and this is Kenta and Kenny Omega versus John Moxley and Lance Archer with a falls count anywhere stipulation. Omega pins Archer for the win, but Kenta is also able to stand tall over Moxley once again to close out that show. So Kenta faces Moxley for the IWGP US heavyweight title on February 26, 2021. This match was heavily promoted by New Japan. I could not, like all of my emails at one point were from New Japan promoting this match. A shirt was made. There were a lot of promotional opportunities and contests around New Japan world to drive up subscriptions using the Kenta versus Moxley match. And there were package deals on Kenta and Moxley merchandise. This, however, went left very quickly. Kenta lost the match. Um, you know, I was very surprised. Rachel was very surprised. Um, super shocked. The promotion of this match really seemed to heavily imply that Kenta was going to go over, especially after months of promoting the program and creating his own storyline via his backstage promos by himself. With John unable to travel to Japan due to COVID-19 restrictions, it kind of in our mind would have made sense to put the belt back onto Kenta from that standpoint alone. The loss was so out of left field that the only real explanation that we can come up with for Kenta's loss seems to be like backstage New Japan AEW politics that we're just not going to really be privy to. While the companies do cooperate, it's still unclear how much of a working relationship they have or plan to have. And it appears that despite Kenta's popularity at the time and how much he did to promote the belt in that program, he fell victim to those politics. And in backstage promos from that time moving forward, he mentions how many times that he had to defend that briefcase, which is a real sticking point for him. That briefcase became his belt at one point. I was absolutely convinced he was going to just strap a belt to it and start wearing it around his waist because of how many times he defended it. Like he really, really drove that home um, on that briefcase. It felt in every single way, like he had to win the belt then. So yeah, there's really no other explanation. And of course that's all just rumor, but it's really a uh, interesting little situation there so right and you know it's it's important because the IWGP United States Championship and the right to challenge briefcase was this unique opportunity for Kenta to again appeal to a western and American audience through that lens of New Japan Pro Wrestling and the belt and briefcase tie into his identity and goals for himself because of the belt's originally stated purpose of being a part of New Japan's American expansion plans. Like I said before, Kenta still lives in Orlando and is part of New Japan's talent that commutes into Japan for tours. So with Kenta winning his right to challenge Moxley for the belt during the pandemic, it really did seem like Kenta would be able to perform live in front of American audiences more often, something that would be important to him after, you know, quote unquote, failing to get over with American crowds during his time in WWE. And it's important to also mention that his AEW appearances were major moments for him as he was really well received. You can hear the crowd cheering for him and responding to him. And these were not New Japan exclusive crowds. So getting a positive response from a more neutral American audience were moments of real triumph for him after not being able to get over in front of WWE audiences. 
that is, that's, that's it. That's what I wanted to say. That's a huge deal for him. And it felt in every single way, like the U S title was built for him in that way. He has this identity issue that he has come out of, that he has come into himself. He has now arrived with the AEW appearances. He has this warm reception. It seems like he is on that upward while the belt itself is still stagnating. So you would think that you would want to put Kenta with that belt where all the pieces seem to work together. He can go between New Japan and Strong and build that brand. He can create that bridge and that belt could become that bridge through him. Like almost like they're fighting each other through Kenta, if that makes sense. And obviously that's all fantasy booking, but in my mind, leading up to the Moxley match, it made sense. It just made perfect sense. And so watching him lose was a really um, startling situation. I know we were both, like I said, we were in shock. Exactly. And I, and I just want to mention yeah, here too, strong. Kenta has not appeared for Strong's television tapings or any of their national tour dates since losing to Moxley in February 2021, despite long absences from New Japan where he's home in Orlando. And during Kenta's July 27th, 2021 virtual meet and greet with New Japan, Chris Charlton asked Kenta about when he would be able to perform in America. And Kenta said he wanted to, but had no idea when that would be able to happen. And I do want to mention that Kenta did confirm he had COVID-19 sometime in August of 2021 while he was home in Orlando. I just want to note that because there were some major New Japan shows happening in LA at the time, and we just don't know if he would have been involved in them otherwise. So it's fair to point out, but otherwise, like we just don't have any indication that they have wanted to bring Kenta in for any of these shows in America when he's not performing in Japan, despite the fact that he lives in Orlando and very clearly um, has the desire to perform in front of American crowds. And I also want to talk about his post-match comments after Power Struggle from November 7th, 2020. It's actually one of my favorite stories that he tells in his backstages is after he beats Tanahashi. He tells a story about having dinner when he was still with the WWE. He was with Nakamura, Shinsuke Nakamura, and Asuka in Taiwan, and Tanahashi happened to be there. And they go out to dinner, and Kenta's sitting there with them. And he describes it as he's sitting here with these very famous accomplished wrestlers. And suddenly he realizes that he shouldn't be sitting at the table with them. Like he feels like he doesn't have any accomplishments that match up to them. And it's like this real moment of like sadness for him. And it's like, if you can go and find the backstage on New Japan's website, please listen to him tell the story. It's really important to hear it in his own words. But this is a very, very significant moment for him where he felt a lot of shame about who he was at that time when he was still at the WWE. And he felt like he couldn't sit at the table with Nakamura, Asuka, and Tanahashi. However, at that point, sitting there in that backstage, at Power Struggle, after he had beaten Tanahashi and defended his briefcase, he sums everything up by saying that he's actually very satisfied with the work he was doing at that point in New Japan. He comes alive in the ring. And if he went back out to dinner with that group again, he would have nothing to be ashamed of. So his program with the IWGP US belt coincides with this pointed outlook on where he was currently with his wrestling and his satisfaction with his career, seemingly feeling more at peace with himself and who he is as a performer. So it's really important to keep that in mind that even though at that point he didn't have the belt, and then we know later on, a couple months later, he loses to Moxley. He doesn't get the belt at that point. 
he is still in a much better place. He's so happy with what he's doing. He's come so far. He's so far from who he was when he was still with with, um, WWE and he's only wrestling once or twice a month. And now he's wrestling 17 times in a month and he's happy. And, you know, he's found himself again where he used to be in a place where he didn't know who he was seemingly from if you're listening to his comments. So that's, you know, that's what we're saying when we are telling you that we believe that his identity is really is tied to this belt because the program um, starts to coincide with him feeling really good about the work that he's doing. But he does eventually get his hands on the belt and it's just as emotionally satisfying when it does finally happen as this moment where he's talking about where he is and where he's satisfied with his career. So Alicia, please tell us about that. Let's talk about this Tanahashi program. We need to talk about this Tanahashi program. (laughs) Yeah, we do. So it's important to note that during Kenta's original run with the right, the challenge briefcase, Tanahashi challenged Kenta and lost. Like I just mentioned, um, Tanahashi quote unquote broke (laughs) the briefcase. Um, he he, he broke it, you know, whatever. And Kenta like incorporates this into his promos from there on out. And he blames Tanahashi for it. He's all, you know, angry about it, whatever. So, um, on July 24th, 2021 during summer struggle in Nagoya, Tanahashi and Kenta had a main event singles match, and this was not for the IWGP US Heavyweight Championship, but Kenta cites his irritation over Tanahashi breaking his briefcase as his primary reason for wanting to get revenge against Tanahashi. So again, the belt is not on the line, but we're still fighting about the broken briefcase at this point in July of 2021. So this match is interesting. Shibata interferes on his friend Tanahashi's behalf to prevent Kenta from cheating, thus continuing the storyline that has been brewing and ongoing between Kenta and Shibata since Kenta defected to the Bullet Club. And then after this, Kenta loses this match. Tanahashi wins. Kenta heads back to Orlando and doesn't return until September for the G1. Tanahashi uses his win against Kenta here to challenge Shingo Takagi for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship on July 25th, 2021, he loses to Shingo. Meanwhile, while, Ke- while Tanahashi and Kenta were in their program, John Moxley entered a program with Lance Archer, culminating in a rematch of their Texas death match on July 21st, 2021, where Lance took back the IWGP US Heavyweight title. Then, <laughs> on August 14th, 2021, Hiroshi Tanahashi def- defeats Lance Archer and becomes the IWGP US Heavyweight Champion at New Japan Resurgence in Los Angeles. He has one defense against Kota Ibushi before entering into a program with Kenta once again. Now, Kenta has a fantastic G1 showing. He nearly won his block before falling to Kota Ibushi in the final round. But during the G1 finals, he pins Tanahashi during a multi-man tag and he steals the IWGP US heavy belt from him, setting up a program between the two with a title challenge set for Power Struggle on November 6, 2021. Now, at Power Struggle, Kenta finally defeats Tanahashi to become IWGP US heavyweight champion. In his post-match. <laughs> yeah, finally. Finally. And this in is his... it, right? End of episode, right? <laughs> I wish I could roll credits for you, but I can't. In his post-match, Kenta opens with, I don't know if you guys remember what I said when I came to New Japan in 2019. I said, I'm here to prove who I am. And after two years, I finally proved who the fuck I am, baby. <laughs> when he switches to Japanese, he references how many times the belt had been given to him. 
taken from him or that he had to take it himself during that tour and how elated he felt having finally won it himself. And really, if you're listening to him talk, it sounds like a commentary on his booking with the belt as a whole. And he does reference the amount of times he defended the briefcase all in service of becoming champion. And I want to talk about this beautiful baseball analogy that Kenta uses to um, describe his wrestling and where he is in his career today. He says, going back to G1, there are still fans who try to compare me to my past self. I've said this time and time again, I'm proud of who I am right now. Sure, you can be a pitcher who throws 150 kilometers right down the middle. You age, get injured, and can only throw 130 kilometers. You can be stubborn and still try to make that pitch work for you. And that might be okay, but I've decided to switch things up. I've decided to add more pitches to my arsenal. That's why I'm proud of what I'm doing now. So we're seeing a lot of the same stuff come back that we've talked about previously. This belt is so heavily tied into his identity. And I think it's based on what we talked about before. Like this belt is just, it's so meaningful for him because he really looks at it as something that he couldn't, you know, he couldn't achieve certain things in his time in WWE. And now this belt is giving him those opportunities. And now he's finally found himself in New Japan and this belt coincides with that. And you're seeing that here and that he's finally satisfied with himself. He doesn't care about people criticizing his wrestling, that his wrestling has changed because he's gotten older. And in, you can you can hear the satisfaction in himself in these comments in his post-match from after winning ta- this belt from Tanahashi. So the moral of the story is, if you decide to go on cage match and call him washed, Maybe you shouldn't. Basically. Yeah. For real. That is, it's, it's beautiful. It's a really great story. It's keeps him going. Like it really does. And it's just really good to see. So Kenta goes home to Orlando for a few weeks and then comes back in December to enter into another program, the Tanahashi. And Rachel, you probably remember me messaging you and being like, I don't like this. (laughs) Yeah, I was uh, definitely doing a lot of comforting, trying to, no, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. (laughs) So yeah, there, there are no disqualification rematch was set for night two of Wrestle Kingdom, January 5th, 2021. Um, And Kenta loses in his first defense. And during the match, he dislocated his left hip, broke his nose. Um, He had some tendon damage in one of his fingers, though this damage slash a break was probably done prior to Wrestle Kingdom. Um, And he had some significant lacerations on his back. So Kenta is going to be out for a while rehabbing those injuries, especially his hip. This, This didn't end the way that we thought it was going to. I mean, injuries aside as, as horrific as they are I, I could not have predicted that he would just end up losing it in his first defense of it and I think you felt the same way Rachel I did and going through this uh, episode with you and going through all your research with you kind of makes me feel better in a way because the big point of this episode and one of them is that there's no quit in Kenta you've always told me that and I've always known that um, so even seeing all of this where he is right now in a romantic relationship with his crutches because Mm -hmm. Kenta is an expert at all of this that you can just feel that he is already thinking he called them a new weapon um you can already see him thinking about his return and how he's gonna get there and I really don't think that the story is done with the U.S. belt and it's uh, definitely something worth noting is that he will keep going yeah Kenta is definitely someone who 
despite the booking limitations, despite what people are saying about him, he will carve his own destiny. He will do that for himself. So mm-hmm. that is certainly where if I, when I'm looking at the totality of everything and, and just kind of like sitting with his time in, in New Japan, that's really what he's been doing. You know, the booking has not always been with him, but he's really incredibly intelligent with the way that he can use other things to still get himself over to create his own side stories and side plots with the way that he uses his promos. And then thinking about how goal oriented he is, you know, he, he never gave up on the fact that, you know, he wanted so badly to prove that he could get over, um, in America, that was still a goal of his. And he still felt like he, he lost something and not being able to do that. And yet he's still through this belt doing that and still pushing forward with that goal. And I find that remarkable about him. And to that end, do you think that his goal of connecting to that Western American audience has already been satisfied despite this lackluster sort of perceived to be start-stop booking? I'll say yes and no. I think in a lot of the ways that we just touched on, yes, because he's been able to use his promos to, again, create his own narrative and create his own stories and get connected with an audience that he definitely didn't have when he was in WWE. And there's way more people appreciating his work and talking about his work. And so in that way, yes, I think that he's been successful in that. Do I think he should be doing more in his position as a wrestler who has shown he's an appeal to Japanese and Western New Japan fans? Definitely, especially when we factor in his unique schedule and Kenta is just tailor-made for a belt like this, you know, one where he can be performing in the U S and in Japan. Um, and it would give him the ability to perform more often in front of American audiences, which he clearly wants to. So those are not things that he can control though. Those are things that are in new Japan's control. So that's why it's kind of a difficult question to answer. So I think that of the things that he can control, yes, of the things that are out of his control, it's been, disappointing but not because of kenta yeah absolutely and it's like you said he is really proud of his work right now for what he's doing but there is a lot more that he can do and can be done especially in terms like you said with that u.s heavyweight title and i think a lot of that comes down to what new japan wants to do with that title i know we talked a lot about the identity but it really does feel like Kenta was tailor-made for that original purpose of that belt to sort of bridge the brand's global expansion. You have this guy who lives in Orlando, who travels between the brands. He's super over in Japan. He's super over with Western audiences. He just, he seems perfect. He can speak both languages, which is truly remarkable because like you said, he started learning for WWE. He's extremely talented, but I think it comes down to what they want out of that belt, if that makes sense. And I'm not sure if they still see it as a Western expansion belt now, especially since you have that strong belt with them giving it to Tanahashi, you know, on and off like this, I'm beginning to think, and this is all speculation that they might be seeing it as a replacement for the intercontinental, which isn't to say that Kenta can't step up to that as well. I think in the end, it comes down to 
Tanahashi, as much as I love him, already has had that, you know, legendary reign with the secondary belt. He's already had that position where with the belt, it's sort of coming into its identity and Kenta is coming into himself and they could really mesh together. Uh, What I wanted to ask you now was leading into this identity with the belt. We have this match with Sonata coming up. What do you think should be the outcome? Do you think Tanahashi will hold on to it? Or do you think that Sonata will take it? And what does that mean to the identity of the belt? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I honestly, I don't know who's going to take it, but, and I honestly, I couldn't really guess at this point because the booking has been so all over the place. But to your point, no matter who wins, whether it's Tanahashi retaining or Sonata winning the belt, I think to your point, it's becoming the intercontinental belt. It's just replacing um, the belt that they merged, um, you know, with the IWGP. I don't even know the the title, IWGP heavy (laughs) to make what is now what the IWGP um, world heavyweight. Um, So, yeah, I think that at that point, it really doesn't matter who wins at that point. It just becomes more or less the intercontinental belt for now, I think, you know, like that's, that's where it's very gray to me, but that's what it seems like. And I, I don't think it matters who wins um, and who takes that belt away when Sonata and, and Tanahashi face. I think it's the same outcome, really. Yeah, because they both have that sort of identity as that upper mid Carter. I mean, Tanahashi is, of course, the ace. He always will be. That can sort of slot into that. However, Kenta is still in that unique position where he could still fall into that intercontinental-esque role as well as that U.S. expansion. So again, it comes down to New Japan needing to decide what this belt is, what it's going to do, and who is going to be the person who can get it there. And to that end, I don't think Kenta's done with this U.S. belt. What do you think? I think when he comes back from injury, it's it's very likely he'll go back into another program for this belt. I think that, you know, I think back to when he lost the um, the match against Moxley. What did we see a couple months later? He used the excuse of Tanahashi breaking his briefcase to go back right into a program for that belt. So I think it's likely that we'll see that continue for him, especially because again, like he he had the belt for a very brief amount of time. He mostly held it when he was home in Orlando. And then came back, had one match, got seriously hurt, and then dropped the belt. So I don't think it's going to be over for him. And (sighs) belts are props, right? And that sounds like a really flippant thing to say about things that we should put a lot of importance and weight behind. But belts are props. And who is really good (laughs) at using props and giving some meaning to props and really making that like a part of his gimmick and making you care about them. And there's no one better than that than Kenta. So I just can't imagine that his, his storyline coming back is not going to still be tied to that belt in some way, but that remains to be seen. We'll see what the timeline is like of uh, his injuries. And if you look at the history of the booking or the storylines that they put with those, that belt specifically is that um, often it is one person who is tied to it. Juice Robinson was tied to that belt. He had so much trauma with that belt, especially during his G1s. It was all about the U.S. belt. So I definitely would not be shocked 
if uh, Kenta were to fill that same role. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I really liked what Juice was doing with that belt. Of course, the pandemic also got in the way of that. And that sort of falls into New Japan once again, just needing to learn how to pivot. And that's fine. You know, all companies go through that. But I definitely could see uh, Kenta falling into that belt becoming a piece of his identity if it isn't already, which, you know, we talked about during this episode. No, absolutely. I'm I'm very much in agreement with you. And I mean, let's talk a little bit about, we've talked about where Kenta might go from here once he returns from his injuries. And I do want to say about his injuries, it's, it's nice to see some of his pictures he's been posting. His nose cast is off, so that's great. And he's also... It looks like he's starting some light rehab to get his hip back on track, which is great. But beyond New Japan, where else do we think Kenta goes from here? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think uh, you know, and I know, and it's all on the tip of our tongues. Uh, We want to see him more in pro wrestling, Noah. He had those incredible showings. Well, really only one match showing, but he had a really, really great standout moment at the Sugira uh, Purdue show, All Dogs Gather. And then, of course, we have the Nippon Budokan on January 1st, that absolutely incredible match. I went back and watched it recently. It's just pure joy. It makes me so happy um, to see him putting over young talent such as Yoshiki Inamura. And I want to see him face Inamura. I really do. I want to see that singles match. I really think that um, the tag match was a star-making moment, but if we could have another one. And I really think that's something also Kenta um, excels at. It's almost like Obviously, a person isn't a prop, but it really shows off his ability to take that one little thread of a storyline and use that in the same way that he does his prop work, that he does his backstage promos, um, putting people over. It's very much the same thing. And I want to see him do that. So what about you? (laughs) What do you want to see from Kenta? I'm in total agreement with you. I mean, I, I really want to see him continue something with Inamura. It's so nice to see Kenta at this stage in his career kind of take that, you know, sort of mean veteran role and like really, you know, stick that to someone like Inamura. It looked amazing at the Budokan. Um, and it was awesome to see um, Kenta afterwards in the ring um, make comments that like Inamura reminded him of himself when he was younger. And it's like, oh, that's really cool. So it's it's nice to have, you know, Kenta in a Noah ring making comments like that. It's definitely meaningful. So I liked seeing that. And if you go back to our I Am Noah episode, we talk a lot about uh, Marfuji specifically taking on that uh, mean veteran or taking on the veteran role and fulfilling something in the booking that was lacking during their generation. So it calls back to that in a lot of ways. I definitely recommend that you guys go back and listen to that episode because it is a really important point. And it's something I thought of when I saw Kenta putting over Inamura so hard that it really fell back into that sort of trend. And it made me very happy. Yeah, absolutely. And beyond beyond that, I mean, we have two great opportunities in July. We'll be back at the Budokan with Noah. And we also have Cyber Fight Fest um, in June, I believe. So we've got two great opportunities. And a lot of this stuff depends on Kenta's timeline for his hip and, you know, when he'll be able to get back in a wrestling ring. But obviously the ideal for me would be to have him um, be able to collaborate with Noah at one or both of those shows. Ideally, that would be fantastic. 
And then we also still have another Budokan show uh, January 1st of next year, which is really great that they're doing these returns now. They're trying to make this a tradition, which is great. So I definitely think there's a lot of opportunities for him to show up at NOAA, which is very exciting because um, wherever he is, he's always going to uh, be very magnetic and very, very interesting and always bring something fun to the table. So. Yeah. Like we've been saying, you know, if Kenta is someone who will carve his own destiny no matter what. So, you know, this, these injuries were, were quite the setback and losing the belt right back to Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom was not ideal, but Kenta is someone who always comes back. So we'll be waiting for him. Thank you, as always, for listening to and supporting Kickout 299. We are so grateful for the response we've had so far and for those of you who have sent us feedback and promoted us on Twitter. We are excited to announce that we hit our first followers goal on Spotify thanks to your help. And our first giveaway winner for issue 2153 of Shoe Pro with Go Shiyazaki and Katsuko Nakajima on the cover is at WaveWave111 on Twitter. Congratulations to them, and we'll be in touch. Please do us a favor if you have not already and rate and follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple. We plan to continue doing giveaways as we hit other milestones, and increasing our followers will help us make decisions around adding additional content to kick out. And as always, if you want to find us on Twitter, you can find us at kickout299. And if you want to find me, Rachel, you can do that at Milky Star. That's M. I-I-K-Y star. And you can also find Alicia at Shiranui Kai with two eyes. Please also visit our e-zine at kickout299.wordpress.com. We have a great article up there and also two book reviews. And you can email us at kickout at 299 at gmail.com. You can submit questions to us there and feedback that we may read on the next podcast episode. And if you have any interest in submitting a pitch for the blog or the podcast, please do so there. And speaking of podcast episodes, you are not going to want to miss some of the really cool podcasts that we have coming up for you. We have an episode with Sarah Kershak that's going to be about Endotetsia, and it's also going to be about DDT Factions, the first in our series about factions in different Purorasu companies. We also have a really cool episode coming up with Jonathan Foy talking about his excellent book, Gambaru. You can read a really good review on that by Alicia at the Ezine, And then, of course, you can buy that book on Amazon. Keep an eye on our Twitter for more news about future interviews and deep dives because we have a lot of really cool stuff planned for you. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, Alicia. What? Happy Kenta Day. (laughs) I am the new IWGP United States Champion. I don't know if you guys remember what I said when I came to New Japan in 2019 I said I'm here to prove who I am after two years 
I finally prove who the fuck I am, baby!